everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of welcoming in Josh Spector, who is the writer of the For the Interested newsletter, host of the I Want to Know podcast, and consultant to creative entrepreneurs everywhere. You can find him online at jspector on Twitter or joshspector.com, and his last name is spelled S-P-E-C-T-O-R. I hope you all enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, please welcome in Josh Spector. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you, man. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. I've been following your journey online for a little while and enjoy what you're doing. Um, and I wanted to kind of share that with the audience because I think there's you know so many of us that we're trying to get started. We get stuck. you know, We let imposter syndrome get in the way, our identity. There's so many different things. So curious to kind of hear your perspective and, uh, and share some of that. Um, with that, I thought we'd start. There's a lot of different uh, levers I want to pull today. I, the first area I thought would start because sometimes the thing we're doing today isn't the thing we've always been doing. And there's always been transitions and those type of things. So when I say connected comedy, what comes up in your what comes up in your mind? Uh, it's funny. I mean, connected comedy is definitely a transitional point for me. Yeah. Uh, so connected comedy was a blog and website and basically became a consulting company where I would help comedians use social media to grow their audience and, and business. And it's interesting because it started, uh, you know, 2008, 9, 10, somewhere, yeah. somewhere in there. Uh, and social media was really different then. I mean, now it seems obvious, like, of course, comedians would use social media. But back then, like, you know, a lot of comedians had used MySpace a little. They had gotten burned when they built big followings on MySpace. Then MySpace basically disappeared overnight. So they really didn't think that, you know, a lot of them were not even using social media. So the idea of like, again, it seems obvious now, but back then the idea of sort of explaining to them how to use this stuff and how they could sort of take more ownership and control of their own career, as opposed to relying on gatekeepers uh, was kind of new to a lot of them. And so for me personally, what had happened was I was, uh, running content and marketing for comedy.com, which was a startup comedy website. And I had learned a lot about how you use social media and how you use these digital tools to grow audiences specifically in the, in the comedy space. And so after uh, comedy.com ultimately was not successful. And after uh, I left there, I decided to sort of take everything that I had learned and everything that I had studied and been like, all right, well, I keep saying that these tools are powerful and you can build audiences and businesses let's see if that's true. Let me, let me put my money where my mouth is. And I started blogging every day about this stuff and it worked. You know, it's funny, like initially I thought that I would get consulting clients out of it. And I thought that the people most likely to hire me would be people that I already knew in the comedy industry. But what happened was my first clients actually came from other cities and other countries and people that had never known me outside of connected comedy and the blog and the internet. And that was super eye-opening to me to be like, oh yeah, this stuff that I've been talking about, like this is legitimate. Like, and obviously, uh, you know, years later, that's how I how I make my living. So in some ways, that was the first place where I sort of put the theories to test and discovered that they worked. Yeah. yeah. So 
that kind of being your first, I guess, dip into, you know, creation, right? Content creation, maybe entrepreneurship, we can call it. How did you make that transition? Because I know a lot of folks struggle that they're working the full-time job. They're in the, the corporate America rat race, just putting stuff online, just writing, doing anything. They're scared to hell. I know I was when I initially did it. So what made you kind of say, you know what, let me try this avenue. Had that been something you've always wanted to do, or was it something kind of a fluke out of the out of the box? You just like screw it, let's just do it. Uh, I would say it's a little of both, right? So I had created content. You know, my first blog I think was in like 1999 or 2000. Oh, wow, okay. So literally before you before there was YouTube, before I used uh, Blogger, and I think at the time you couldn't even really easily upload photos. Like it was that early. Yeah. Like you could write and do links. Um, and so for years I had had different blogs and then eventually some email lists and newsletters. Uh, but for years it was basically anonymous. Um, I didn't have, again, there was no social media back then, but I never even had a personal MySpace account. Uh, so on the one hand, I was used to publishing on the other hand, that, that was not business related at all. It was a hobby. And back then in the early days of blogging, the idea that any of that could be a business was just like unheard of. Like mm -hmm. most people were like, what's a blog, right? It was just a thing I did when I was bored at work or whatever. I would just sort of share stuff. Um, it had very few people reading it again, no social media. Like it was just a totally different space. So on the one hand, I had been creating content for years. On the other hand, Connected Comedy was really the first time that I did it as a business, that I did it as myself. I think it was the first website that I ever had that I was like, this is written by Josh Spector and it mm -hmm. had my photo on it. And I remember sort of struggling with that because, you know, I'm an introvert. It just wasn't how I operated. But I remember being like kind of forcing myself to do it because I realized, all right, well, if you want people to hire you and you want whatever, you kind of can't hide behind it. Yeah. And even then I remember like using the connected comedy brand, right? So even on Twitter, I would tweet things through the connected a comedy account that I would never use or tweet through my personal account. Like there was still that separation mm -hmm. yeah. and that, that uh, discomfort was sort of putting myself out there. And one thing that I found, I think in, in dealing with lots of people is I think not only is that very common, but I think that there is a, a spectrum or a trajectory for people in terms of getting comfortable doing stuff. There certainly has been for me. Uh, we were talking before we came on, it's only been in the last year, maybe two, that I've done anything with video, right? And again, that's another step on the comfort. You know, I eventually got comfortable, you know, Connected Comedy was the first time I sort of revealed who was behind this thing. Then eventually it was my own websites and my own name and my own social accounts and putting my stuff out there. And you gradually get more and more comfortable and then working up to podcasts and video and, and all that kind of stuff. And again, different people have different levels of comfort with this stuff. They start at a different place on that spectrum. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, uh, it takes time. You know, it, it took me years to get comfortable to the point where I am now. And it's interesting because I talk to people and I can see that, you know, they'll say like, oh, I couldn't imagine blogging, or I couldn't imagine sharing my ideas on Twitter or whatever. And a lot of times what I tell them is like, that's okay. Like you'll get there. Like, I don't think it's an all or nothing. Again, it, it took me a, a long time. And I think that's, uh, but connected comedy was definitely a big, a big sort of leap forward and, and start down that path. Mm. 
what are maybe one or two lessons from the connected comedy journey to help folks get started? Maybe things you learned those first, mm -hmm. maybe that first year of doing it that you're like, Oh gosh. But, uh, <laughs> I, well, I definitely think, you know, with any kind of creation, it's funny. I get asked a lot of times, uh, should I focus on quality or quantity? And my answer is yes. Right. Yeah. I, I, I really think that you need yeah. both. Yeah. Uh, I do think that quality is important, but it's also important to have consistency and to get reps in and to put more, put more stuff out into the world. Right. So when I started connected comedy, I was blogging basically every day. Um, I certainly don't do that now, but then I think it was really important. And, and by the way, I think anytime you're getting started with it, I do think it's important to sort of, start actively right and what will happen is whether you do it daily or weekly or whatever whatever you're doing whatever you're creating or putting out there you're doing it frequently right that's going to help you get better it's also going to help you learn and it's going to you know it's it's taking more shots it's more shots to attract people and the other thing i think what people don't realize is the more frequently you do something actually the easier it becomes it's actually easier to blog every day than it is to blog sporadically mm -hmm. um, because you just get in the habit and one thing le leads to another and, and all of that. So that was definitely something that, again, I, I did it like that from the start. I don't know how strategic it was, but it's sort of, you know, at that time, you know, the job I had had before it ended, like this was, I was just focused on this. So to write a blog post today, it was sort of my job. Right. And then figuring out how to transfer transition that into business. One of the things that doesn't surprise me now, but probably surprised me back then was just how true it is that if you put stuff out there, you will attract people. Like I said, the, the first clients I got were people that I didn't even really know how they had found me. Um, not people that I knew not, it didn't, that was not what I expected it to be. Um, the other thing that I would say along those lines that was, uh, that was really interesting and what I realized was a big advantage is if you're creating something in a space that is not only a specific niche, but has a sort of tight knit community. So comedians all see each other all the time. They all talk all the time. They're all hanging out in clubs. So what was happening was there was, and again, this is even more so in social media, but even in a sort of pre or early social media world, they were all talking to each other. So as a couple of comedians discovered it, they would say when they're hanging out at the club, oh, did you see this article that this guy wrote about how to use Twitter or what, you know, whatever it is, how to use Facebook ads. So that was really helpful. And I think it's true for anything you do that if you have a niche, not only that is a, a niche in terms of a specific group of people, but a niche where those people are talking to each other all the time, it's much easier for your content to spread and, and much easier to get word of mouth. So that, that, uh, again, I don't think that I necessarily thought about that before I started, but it really helped, helped it grow. Tell me a little more about what you think about Nietzsche, niche, niches, <laughs> niches, mm -hmm. however you want to say it. Um, like how deep should someone go in terms of really um, hitting that niche or, or, you know, did they broaden it out? Mm -hmm. Does it matter at the beginning as long as they're putting out content and then they refine mm -hmm. it? Like, what do you coach folks on? So I think it's, I think niches are really important and really valuable and the way I think about it is you want to be providing specific value to a specific audience, right? And that value is typically going to be a transformation, right? 
those people are at point A, they want to get to point B, your content, your products, your services, whatever are the bridge that's going to help them get there. Now, the other thing that's important to understand about niche that I think a lot of people get wrong is people hesitate to embrace a niche because they think about it in terms of that being the only people they're going to help, right? They're like, but I can help these people and that person. And maybe I'm not quite sure what I want to do. You want to remove that. A niche is about your ideal audience, not your only audience. So one of the exercises that I help people go through is I say, look, if whatever it is that you're creating or offering or doing, I could introduce to a hundred people who are not famous and no one that knows you, who would you choose to be in the room or to read that post or to do whatever, right? You would choose the people that either are most likely to find it valuable or that you would most want to work with or most have in your audience, right? Ideal, right? You would not just say, uh, like, I'll, I'll give you an example, right? Let's say that you're creating content for dads, right? You would not just say, well, okay, give me a hundred dads, right? You might say, okay, and I, or if you did, I might say to you, well, would you rather have a hundred dads of babies or a hundred dads of college students? You're going to have a preference. You might go, oh, it doesn't matter, Fine. but you're probably going to have a preference, right? And you start to drill down in terms of ideal, right? You say, oh, well, do you want a uh, hundred dads who are married or a hundred dads who are single, right? What would your ideal be? Again, thinking about which of those are going to be most likely to find your stuff valuable or you most want to work with. So what I find is that when you start to think about niche in terms of ideal, as opposed to only, it gets a lot less scary, right? Because you're still going to have, you know, you can have an ideal niche. You're still going to get other people that don't fit that niche, right? That's just always going to happen. So you're not excluding anything and you can still work with whoever you want and you can still talk about whatever you want, but you want to be attracting the people that you most want to attract. When you don't choose a niche, because you're afraid, you're basically punting the ability to attract the people you most want. And you're just saying, well, I'll work with or serve or give content to whoever happens to see my stuff and come my way. The other thing is niches always, your niche will always evolve, whether you're successful or unsuccessful, whatever. So the other reason people push back against niche is because they're worried that they're going to get stuck. They go, I don't want to choose this dad niche because I'm not sure that that's what I want to do. The problem is my advice to them is always choose a niche now and you can always change. Because if you don't choose a niche, every single thing you do becomes infinitely harder, right? You don't know who you're trying to attract. So you don't know what to write about. You don't know how to position your stuff. Other people don't really know what you're about. So they're less likely to connect to you. It's virtually impossible to grow an audience without aiming for a specific niche. So you're much better off, even if you're not sure, Picking something that you think you might want to niche to, mm -hmm. start going down that road, and then you can adjust and see because then you'll know, right? You'll go like, oh, I'm getting these people, but I don't really like it, or these aren't the clients I want to work with. You can always pivot, right? You're not making a sort of lifetime commitment to whatever niche you have. And by the way, even in success, like I said, your niche is going to evolve and change over time. Um, not choosing a niche, I think, is a huge mistake because it basically not only does it make everything you do harder, it makes it virtually impossible to grow because other people have no idea why they should care about what you're doing. Yeah. While you're out there just sort of exploring, which is fine, exploring is important, um, but you're gonna get better data. A better way to explore is to sort of choose a niche and then see how it goes. And how important is it 
because I love that thought about the ideal, is that keeping that internal, but that goes into how you write, how you talk online, those type of things, or broadcasting that and saying, hey, I work with this type or this group. Like, how, mm -hmm. how much do you kind of toe the line between those? Are, are you talking out in public about that that niche or is that yeah. more internal? I would probably, in most cases, you're gonna talk about it in public. Now you don't have to, this goes back to sort of specific value for a specific audience. So you don't have to talk about it in a way of like, hey, I'm Josh and my niche is X, right? right? You don't have to use the word niche or anything like that, right. but you can get very, you can get specific in terms of, you know, it's, here's a good example. I see people in descriptions of what they do all the time or Twitter bios or whatever, and they use the word people, right? Mm -hmm. People is such a red flag word because it's a missed opportunity to say who you're actually for, right? So I don't say I help people grow their audience in business. I say I help creative entrepreneurs grow their audience in business. Now, that is a choice. It's a choice I'm making, right? That choice could be, I just help entrepreneurs, or I used to say I help creators. But then I changed it to creative entrepreneurs because I realized I didn't just want people who want to get more likes. I want people who are actually building businesses, right? Yeah. So there's no right or wrong, but you want to put that out there. So what's going to happen is those people that fit that description, again, it's about attracting the right people, mm. right? I know I said not to use the word people, but it's, it's, a, it's about <laughs> attracting who you ideally want, right? So my ideal audience is not accountants but I still have accountants that follow my stuff and love it. And I've worked with them. Right. But I want the person that's going to read that description to go, Oh, this is exactly me. This is exactly what I'm looking for. Right. Um, and so I think that uh, if you don't put that out there, how are they going to know? Yeah. Right. Um, and certainly you should do that in your content and your products and your services, whatever. But I think in general, it's helpful to have it in your description. Again, not in terms of a, this is my niche. You know, I, the other mistake I see people make a lot is they talk about or they describe their niche as a topic as opposed to a transformation. That's a big mistake, right? So you don't want to say, uh, you know, my newsletter is about self-development. Mm, I see. Okay. Or self-improvement. You want to say my newsletter helps CEO mo or executive moms build better work-life balance. The specificity, right? Because what happens is the more specific you get, the more perfect you are for someone as opposed to okay for everyone. And the more differentiated you become. If you say my newsletter is about self-improvement, well, guess what? So are a hundred other newsletters, Right. So specificity, really important and focus on the transformation, not the topic, because the, the transformation is actually where the value is just saying, I share a bunch of stuff about self-improvement. Okay. Yeah. But actually saying, I'm going to help you get from here to here makes people way more interested in what you're doing. Okay. So what you're saying is I need to change my Twitter bio then. <laughs> <laughs> what's your, I, I have, what's your I, well, I do have people in there, but you know, I've been struggling with this for a little while. And so I'm actually glad we're talking about this because I've been thinking That's like, so funny. let yeah. me pull it up. We'll, we'll do it. Now the good news is like, the transformation stuff. I think I have that. Hopefully you'll agree, but yeah, trying to get more specific. So like business professionals or something off the, I'll have to noodle on that, but, uh, 
You want you want some uh, quick Twitter? Oh bio my God! Come on, let's do it. I don't All right, mind. let's do it. Okay. So Brian's Twitter bio right now says, "I'm on a mission to help people take back control of their lives. When we endure the perceived short-term pain, it can magnify into a long-term gain." Okay. So Beat not me terrible. Up. Come on. Beat me up. Um, but <laughs> here's a few thoughts. Okay. So the first thing is, and it's funny because this gets into like really common stuff that I see all the time. Uh, it's totally counterintuitive, but your Twitter bio is not about you. Your Twitter bio is about why should someone follow you? So leading with, and you see this all the time, I'm on a mission to do, why do they care? They care about their mission, Fair right? Enough. Yeah. I will help you it, think about it as a, not sales in terms of product, but think about it as I'm giving you a reason. Your bio exists to give people a reason why they should follow you. And if you think about when people look at your bio, it's a lot of times the other mistake you'll see people make is they treat a bio like a resume. But what happens is someone's looking at your bio because they saw a tweet of yours somewhere, got retweeted, whatever. They go, oh, who's this? That sounded smart. Who's this Brian guy? And they're looking at that bio in the moment of going, should I follow this guy? That's actually what, so your goal with the bio is to convince mm -hmm. them, yes, they should, mm -hmm. right? And so when you make it about, and I'm not, again, this is very common, but when you make it about you, you'll see this all the time, right? Like father of three, love sports, talking about whatever, like, okay, yes, that's about you, but that, why is that convincing? How is that convincing someone to follow you, right? So even the, those subtle shifts, right? I'm on a mission to help people take back control of their lives versus something like, I can help you take control, take back control of your life, mm. right? Same general concept, but you're flipping the perspective and making it about this is what's in it for them, right? Yeah. Um, and then when we, you have, when we endure this perceived short-term pain, it can magnify into long-term gain. Again, talking to, to you, you know, I, I, uh, just doing this on the fly, but I can help you take back control of your life by showing you how to turn your short-term pain into long-term gain, something like that, okay. right? Now, now there's a transformational element in there as well. The other thing is uh, what you don't say, you have start here with a link to your newsletter, which I, which I think is great. A lot of times people just link to their general website. I think it's better to send them right to whatever you want them to sign up to. Um, but the other thing your bio doesn't actually mention. So for example, it doesn't mention you have a podcast, doesn't right. mention you have a newsletter. So whatever is sort of key things that you want people to know mm -hmm. in that space, this is why you should follow me. And you're looking at your, my profile. I want to make sure that you know. So here's an example, right? You have a podcast that, you know, we, you've done 400 plus episodes and, and I don't know where it fits into everything you do, but I'm guessing it's pretty yeah. prominent and pretty important. Right. So if I don't know you at all, and I look at your profile, I have just get started in your banner images, which is okay. It tells me sort of what you're about, but I don't even know what just get started is. I don't know that it's a podcast. I don't know. Yeah. I just know just get started. Uh, your bio tells me a bit about how you help people. But again, I don't know you have a podcast or a newsletter. Your pin tweet plugs the newsletter. But so in those three elements, there's no reference of your podcast. I don't even know you have a podcast when that's probably your most important well, yes. And, and the thing is I've, I've changed that Twitter bio probably 20 times this year. So right. <laughs> it's like trying to figure out. So this is really helpful. Are, are you going to invoice me after this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And by the way, it's hard. You have limited space and you have, and again, here I'm saying yeah. like, don't make it promotional, whatever. So no, no, I get it. it is tricky, but I think understanding like a, you know, what are your goals for it? Right. Your goals are, I want people to 
follow me in that moment. I want them to go, Oh, I should follow this guy. And I want them to know this thing. Right. Um, assuming those are the two key goals, you want to make sure that, uh, those are, those are hitting. So again, mine is not perfect either, but like, if you go to at J Specter is mine, my bio is I simplify growth for 50,000 plus entrepreneurs through my newsletter, podcast, and skill sessions. Mm, right. Yeah, so, like okay. You kind of hit I it wanna, all. Yeah. You kind of hit it all yeah, there. In one so, sentence. right. And so I think you have the elements in there. It's just the way, the way some of it is presented those slight tweaks and, and knowing that you're always talking. And by the way, this isn't just Twitter bios. This is my tip for all sorts of messaging. You're always talking to one person, right? You're always, that's why you'll see me a lot of times say like, I help you do this. I help you, you know, whatever. And that's another end around to get away from the sort of people thing. Like, let's say your audience is broad. It might not just be entrepreneurs or business professionals or whatever, uh, depending what your niche is, it might be broader, but so then it's, you know, you, I help you do this. I help you get from point A to point B. And then anyone who's looking to do, make that transformation is going to at least be curious to, to learn more about you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You gave me some really good ideas here. I'm going to switch mine up here after our conversation. <laughs> good, I'm glad. No, this is awesome. Well, I think that's, again, when you look at, and, and obviously this will maybe transition us might be a good off ramp to like building online, because I think that's one of the things I've, even with the podcast, you know, one of the things you talk about is, you know, with consistency and building over time, anyone that expects, oh, I'm going to try this for a month and they're going to get this massive following and all these signups, like it it just doesn't happen. I mean, maybe it does happen. Let's say there's a needle in a haystack, but for the most part, Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. And that's kind of the thing, like a lot of folks, like you mentioned, hey, the podcast, few hundred episodes, when I was a hundred episodes in, I'm like, Oh my God, I couldn't see 400 out. All I cared about was the next yeah. one. Let's just keep moving because I don't know in 10 years when I have a thousand or 1500 or 2000, like who knows what, it's, how that's going to help me. And the same with you. Yeah. You, when we were talking, you mentioned with your podcast, you did, what was it? Three month commitment when you were starting it. Yeah. I was like, originally it's funny. I didn't announce it as it being one season, but in my own mind, I was like, all right, I'm going to commit to doing uh, once a week for three months, 12 episodes, we'll do it as a season. Uh, and then I'll sort of see where I'm at and see if I want to do it again and do another season. And, uh, and by the way, my podcast for anyone that's listening is called, I want to know. Um, and you know, once I got, I don't know, maybe seven or eight episodes in, I was like, you know what? I don't, this is, I like this. I'm finding this valuable. Let's mm-hmm. let's keep going. And I think, you know, that's another key point when it comes to just getting started is I think it's really important when you're starting to not have things be open-ended, right? So that your commitment, because what happens is I, re- I wrote a blog post. It's on fortheinterested.com, uh, which is my newsletter name, by the way. Um, and that post was, I called it like the 100X method. And it wasn't about doing something a hundred times necessarily, but it was about picking a amount of times that you're going to do something before you start it. And what that does, if you don't do that, you are constantly from day one trying to figure out, should I quit? Is this working? Right. Should I quit? But if you say like in the case of my podcast, I was like, I'm going to do 12 episodes. I'm committed to that. I'm not even going to assess whether it's working or not, whether I want to continue or not until I finish those 12 episodes. And that's really freeing. So yes, you're still looking at the numbers and the metrics and you're still trying to figure out like, how is this going? But it removes the, do I want to quit? The other thing is when you get to the end of that, 
you create a space where you can walk away from it and not feel like a failure, right? Whereas if it's just open-ended, a lot of people get stuck because they worry that they're like, well, but I said I was going to do this podcast and am I quit? Am I quitting too soon is a common thing, yeah. right? So committing to 12, you get to go, I said I was going to do 12. I did 12. Now I'm going to assess it. And you know what? I don't want to do another 12 or this isn't really working or I want to change it or I whatever. So you create that. Those two things are really, well, three things are really powerful. One, the commitment that I'm going to do this X amount of times right from the start, right? If I'm going to start it, I'm willing to do this. By the way, also prevents you from starting things just on a whim because you get excited, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. It's a totally different thing to go, you know, oh, I, I want to do a podcast. I'm going to start a podcast versus, okay, if I start this, I have to commit to myself to do 12 episodes, right? To do it for three months. And if I wasn't sure, then I, and by the way, one of the reasons I think for a long time, there were a couple of years where I thought about starting a podcast and didn't do it. And I think it was because in those times I was like, I don't know. I don't know that I'm ready to commit to even do it for three months yet. I'm not, I'm not sure that I, that I want to do it. Um, so it helps with that. It helps what I really think is, is crucial is getting out of that constant. Should I quit? Should I quit? Should I quit mode? Mm -hmm. uh, and then it gives you the space at the end to walk away and not feel like you abandoned it or didn't accomplish what you what you set out to do. Um, and you can all you can always re up, right? You always could go, you know what, I'm gonna do another 12. You know, it doesn't have to be this, I'm committing to do this thing forever. Um, which is really intimidating and causes, I think, a lot of a lot of problems. Mm. Yeah, and actually, what you're saying there, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It reminded me of I just had um Anne Laura LeComp on with the uh, Nest Labs mm -hmm. and and she yeah. was talking about growth loops and like the difference between like the single and double loop. And what you're talking about is kind of a double loop where you you give yourself a little time and then you assess and then you make some small tweaks and then you do it again and make some small mm -hmm. tweaks and do it again versus just like why is this not working? Well, you're doing the same thing over and over right. again and it and it might not. Right. So I like that thought. Yeah, and also I think the, the other the other piece of that is a lot of people start things without a clear vision for even what success looks like or why they want to do it or what they hope to get out of it, which is a whole other problem, right? How do you assess whether or not you should quit something when you don't even know what you're trying to get out of it? Right. Right. And yeah. so that that's or that's a problem. And then the other problem is they set goals based on outcome as opposed to output. And outcome goals you can never control, right? You can never. I I can't remember what I was watching or or listening to, but it, you know this is this is true in in sales. It's true in in everything, right? You can you know, or let's take the podcast example, right? I could say I my goal is to get fifty thousand downloads in my podcast. Well, okay, that's great. It's fine to want that. Yeah. Uh, I'm never going to be able to control that. No matter how hard I work, no matter what I do, it right. is always out of my control. But I can set a goal saying I'm going to publish 12 episodes. I'm going to do this every week for a year. I'm going to do whatever. That is 100% in my control. And you can have the theory that if I do this, you know, if I publish 100 episodes, that's how I'm going to get to 50,000 downloads. But you shouldn't judge your success based on the things that are out of your control. It sets you up for for trouble. Your theory might be wrong, but you get to go, you know what? My goal was to publish hundred episodes. I did it. I didn't get to 50,000 downloads, but you know, that's okay. It is, 
it is it is what it is. Um, so I think that's really important too. Anytime you're going to start something, you need to get clear on your goal and what you want to get out of it. My, you know, another piece, my podcast is different than most podcasts in that I, most episodes, our guest comes on and asks me three questions as opposed to me interviewing them. Mm -hmm. That is very specific because my goal for the podcast was to be a showcase for my expertise. So if the goal is to showcase my expertise, why would I be having other people? It's not to showcase me as an interviewer. Mm -hmm. Right. right. So my vision for it was like the equivalent of consulting calls that I happened to record and put out as podcast episodes. So when you're clear on your goal, that informs everything, right? It's also why I'm not super worried. Yes, it's great to get more downloads, but the goal of my podcast is not more downloads, right? Yeah. So all, you know, is it leading to more clients? Is it leading to more opportunities? Is it showcasing my expertise in a way that people can see things that maybe they haven't otherwise seen me doing? Um, without that, without those kind of clear goals, I think it's really hard, you know, from a content standpoint, I always say people wind up doing uh, random acts of content. They're just yeah, putting stuff like out there and they don't really know why. And then they turn around and they go, I don't know why this isn't working. Yeah. And it's like, well, what did you want it to do? Yeah. I don't know. I want more followers. Why do you want more followers? I don't know. So I sell more. Oh, so your goal is actually to sell more of your course or whatever. Yeah. Maybe you don't need more followers. You need more buyers. Not the same thing. Mm. Right. So all of that, it all filters down from sort of that clarity of, of what you want in the first place. Yeah. Well, one of the other points uh, to kind of add on to that, because I, like, I love that positioning is also you don't know what the hell's going to happen. So yeah. starting the pot, like, let's use the podcast. We'll just use that since we both have them is you don't know. You might think, oh, 50,000 downloads. If you're so focused on that, that might change mm -hmm. how you actually do things versus, hey, I'm going to try to put out a great show. I'm going to try to do the things I want to yep. do. And then, yeah, episode, you know, 211 comes through, you know, a couple of years down the road. And all of a sudden you get a phenomenal client because of that. If you never did the yep. podcast, you know what I have. You don't know that was going to happen after day one, but I think we some yeah. folks it's so they forget about it. They're so looking for that, like you said, that output um, mm -hmm. outcome goal. Excuse me, that they always forget about the random things that happen in life, the serendipity that we can't control. Yeah, that is, that is completely true, and that also that goes into the things that you're going to learn from doing it, and mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. It's funny. This conversation reminds me. I had Danny Miranda. Uh, I saw great podcast on recently. And one of the things that we talked about was, you know, he's, I think up to 300 some episodes or something like that. And as part of the conversation, I asked him, I was like, you know, what, what did you not know at episode one from episode 150? And what did you not know at 150 that you now know at 300? And what do you think you'll know or hope you'll know at 500? And it's really uh, very similar to what you were just saying, right? That, and, and he actually talks specifically about, you know, at episode one, I had no idea this. At episode 150, I had no idea this. At episode 300, I had no idea this. And it gets right to what you're talking about where you're, you know, you're definitely going to learn as you go and you have no idea like where it's going to take you. Yeah. Yeah. Danny's a great kid. He's, he was actually on the podcast yeah. earlier this year. I, I'm, Hopefully go vit when he's when he's at Madison Square Garden, which I know is his goal. To, yeah, I know he's I, on I, his way. <laughs> hopefully, I'll have a seat in the crowd there watching him. Um, well, you you know you bring up a good point. Like I start you know so I'll, just as a, as a quick story, right? So like Seth Godin has been someone that's shaped my life in in a, yeah, a, me a, too. a yeah a lot of different ways. 
I still remember sending him a cold email. It, this was in the summer of 2020. And 10 minutes later, I get a reply, you know, because I asked him to be on the podcast. He's like, mm -hmm. let's do it, Brian. So I had him on in the in the fall yeah. of 2020. And then and him and I have you know, we exchange emails back and forth. He was on earlier this year for the second time, like someone like that. I never thought in a million years I'd get a chance to you know, talk yeah. to Seth Godin and learn from him. And was, anyways, it's just those things that you never know are going to happen yeah. the, until you put yourself out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's been true of my, uh, of my whole career and everything I've done. You just, um, you just don't know. And I think it's why I'm, I'm such a big proponent of creating stuff and doing stuff and putting it out there because each of those things are opportunities. And that goes all the way down to like the level of a single blog post or a single tweet or a single, like mm -hmm. you just don't know. And it's, it's not about like, you know, I think people confuse that with virality, right? So what I'm not saying is like, oh, okay, any tweet might go viral and change your life. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Virality is probably overrated, but any tweet might lead to a reply or get on the radar of one person who might change your life. It might form one relationship that changes your life. It might, uh, the replies to something you, to an idea you put out there might trigger a new idea for you or help you notice something that changes your life. And I think that's the, that's the benefit that by the way, people who don't, consistently put stuff out there uh have no idea that they're missing um they don't see that right they can see the audience and they can go oh look at that person has so many followers but i'm never going to get that anyway so what what's the point yeah. they don't understand that the process of creating that stuff the process of how do i come up with an idea every day or every week to share how much that unlocks is is the the value the forcing function of having a newsletter where every week i need to find interesting articles and stuff that other people have created whereas uh, whereas other people that don't have that forcing function they're not learning any of that stuff right yeah. um and so yeah it's it's something that i think uh creators realize that people that aren't putting their stuff out there don't. When you think about that, then the people that are not putting themselves out there, one of the reasons, at least I've found, is their their identity is tied to some job, something else. Mm -hmm. And then you're telling them or I'm telling them, hey, go write on, you know, you love gardening, go, you know, start writing on mm -hmm. gardening. And they're scared as hell. So like, is there any encouragement of like a platform to start on of what to do? Like, was it a blog? Is it tweeting? Is it whatever? Just to kind of get them out of the gate. I, I, or is it something yeah. they have to do internally maybe to have that conversation with themselves first? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a great question. And, and I do think for myself, you know, I've been working for myself doing this full time for like seven years. Um, but before that I had a 20 plus year career working in marketing and journalism and the entertainment industry and, uh, you know, immediately previously, I ran uh, digital media and marketing for the Academy of Motion Pictures and the Oscars and, and all of that. So I definitely felt a lot of what you were saying where I was like, you know, I had a sort of high profile job. And even if it's my personal accounts, I sort of represent, I think it was a struggle for me, right? Because even if I was talking about something that had nothing to do with the Oscars or entertainment or any of that, I still work there, right? And even if it's on my personal account, like that was hard. I did find it. 
I don't even know that I realized how much it held me back until I was out on my own and felt that freedom of like, oh, now I just represent myself, right? Yeah. I don't represent anything else. So I completely relate to, to that struggle. Uh, the one thing I would say is, you know, you just kind of, again, it goes back to that spectrum. You just want to start somewhere. Um, you can start small. You want to start with the things that interest you. Also, in most cases, what you're putting out there is not going to be remotely controversial. You know, if, if the thing that interests you and you want to rant about politics, that's a whole other, right. that's a whole other thing. Right. But if you're like, you know what, I'm really passionate about gardening and I want to start talking about my gut, like that's not going to cause you any problems, right? That's all in your head of that's the, the insecurity, the attention piece, the whatever, you know, no matter what job, unless you work for some gardening company and you're saying their products suck, which you're not going to do, like that's not going to be a problem. So I think we build up in our heads uh, more issues than there are in reality. Um, but I think the key is just find something that you feel the most comfortable with and start, right? For me, it was writing. It was newsletters. It was blog posts. It was Twitter. Like I said, I never did podcasts or video stuff until years into it. Um, I think a big mistake people make is they think that uh, they need to be everywhere and on every platform. They also think that they have to do it the way other people do it. And I hear this all the time uh, when I would talk to people and they'd be like, I don't want to be posting selfies and telling people. And I'm like, well, who says you have to do that? Right. These are just all these social platforms are just tools and you can use them however you want and be successful. I think this idea that you have to do it a certain way. And, that, and the truth is by doing things sort of your own way or differently, you're more likely to stand out and be unique and it's more likely to work anyway. So, you know, what I always say is like, you know, all these, look at these tools, again, whether it's social, blog, video, podcast, whatever, um, as things you can use to provide value to people. And you can provide whatever value you want in whatever way that you want. You don't have to use them the way they're they're typically used. You don't have to mold yourself to fit the platform. No. You can use the platform to express yourself in whatever way you're you're comfortable and want to do. Yeah. Um yeah. Well, it's a good point too on like start out where you're comfortable because you said you didn't like to be on video initially, so you you and mm -hmm. you liked writing, so you did that. I I enjoyed writing. That's actually my favorite thing. But I started the podcast because I enjoyed the voice aspect. I enjoyed the the mm -hmm. interview style. And that's where I think, you know, the kind of comparison as you're, you're talking, it kind of made me think is like, if you hate running, you're going to have a hard time keeping that up day after day right. after day, right? right. So yep. pick, pick the thing that you enjoy. If you're trying to get exercise, you'd love tennis, then go play tennis every day. Like, don't just yeah. try to say, well, runnings or CrossFit or whatever it is, that's the thing I should do. It's the same thing with this. Like, if you love writing, go write however you want to do it. Don't yeah. do a podcast just because that's the cool thing to do, maybe, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and again, also like treat it like an experiment, right? You're not, I think people get so hung up, like you're not committing for life, you know, be like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing for a month, a week, a couple months. Uh, you know, I'm just going to see how it feels. Um, and, you know, and, and set yourself up for success, not failure, right? Like I'm a success. If I post on LinkedIn every day for a month, no matter if anybody reads it, Right. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Cause, cause the truth is, and when you're starting out on any of these things and you don't have much of an audience, like not 
there's not going to be that much like, like traction. And I think that's the other thing that people worry that like, they're going to throw something online and suddenly a million people are going to be telling them they suck and whatever. It's like, yeah. no, most likely no one's going to see it. Yeah. Like most right. likely you're going to get, you know, one or two likes and that's it. Like the pro, like whatever you think is going to happen. That's so bad is probably not gonna, not going to happen again, unless you're playing in spaces where you're that are provocative, but most people, most people aren't right. And the people that are doing that, they want that <laughs> they're being provocative because they want that, right. They want to argue with people. They want to whatever. And that's a whole other thing. Well, let's, let's put the left-hand blinker on here just for a minute. We'll kind of, maybe okay. this will start rounding us home to home base. Um, you obviously have grown a newsletter pretty well and, and obviously you're a good writer and, you got a lot going in that regard. So let's help people get started. If they want to start a newsletter, let's say mm -hmm. they're writing online. They're like, I want to start a newsletter. Forget 40,000 subscribers. How do they get their first 100? Mm -hmm. What are We talked about the Twitter bio. Maybe that's a good place to even yeah. start, just those type of things. But anything else tactical that you would encourage folks? So first, it starts with getting clear on going back to specific value for a specific audience, right? that's going to make it infinitely easier because now you know where those people are, what those people want. It becomes a no, no brainer for them to subscribe, right? If it's just the, the Josh newsletter or the Brian newsletter, first of all, anyone that doesn't know who Josh or Brian is, doesn't care. So they're out, right. They're right. out right away. Right. And to be honest, most people who know Josh and Brian don't care either. Right. So, right. so you're making it much harder for yourself. So the, the concept of the newsletter, the transformation that the newsletter helps people make, again, not topic, but transformation is a great place to start because then once you have that, so I'll use the example that I think I used before, right? Let's say it was for executive moms who are trying to improve their work-life balance, okay? Well, now you know a lot of things, right? Now you can start and you go, who do I know personally that fits that description? That's an executive mom. I can start off just by emailing them. Hey, Susie, I just launched this newsletter. I'm gonna be sharing tips about for executive moms like you about how to improve their work-life balance. Uh, would you like me to send it to you? By the way, this is, this is an interesting thing. Make it as easy as possible for people to sign up. Don't just give them the link and go sign up here. It's easier for Susie to reply and say yes than it is for Susie to go click and go, I know it seems like not a big deal, but if you just say, hey, do you want me to send it to you and add you to the list? It's much easier, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise people say, oh, sounds great. And then they forget to go and sign up. So make it as easy as possible. Start with very simple to start with those people that you know. The other thing to keep in mind is the way you get 100 subscribers, 1,000 subscribers, 50,000 subscribers is all one at a time, right? The way you get 1,000 subscribers is you get one subscriber 1,000 times right? So that's the mindset that you want to have as opposed to like, how do I just get this mass thing, right? So you start with sort of people, you know, then you might go out to and go, okay, my target audience is executive moms. Where are they hanging out? Are there Facebook groups? Are there bloggers? Are there Instagrammers that are reaching that audience? And don't just go pitch yourself, but like, let's say there's a Facebook group. Go become an active member of that group, of that community. Don't just drop in and go like, hey, I'm new here and I have this yeah. newsletter, sign up for it, right? Mm -hmm. But join the group, which by the way, you're going to learn what they're talking about. You're going to learn what they're struggling with. You're going to be able to, uh, which is then going to help you write your newsletter and, and have it be relevant. 
um, engage with those people, not just in your posts, but in their posts, right? And look for opportunities to sort of subtly at first promote your newsletter, right? So you might see someone post in the group and they might say something like, oh my God, like, I'm so, this has been such a hard week. My kid's been sick and I don't know how to juggle everything that I have to do. Well, maybe you go write a newsletter with tips about how to juggle whatever. And then you go reply to that person and you go, hey, I have totally been there. I just wrote in my newsletter this week how to do that. I thought you might find it interesting. Mm-hmm. That's being helpful versus being promotional. And what's going to happen is that person's going to check it out and they go, oh my God, this is great. I might subscribe to this newsletter. Maybe they're going to share it. Also, everyone else in the group is going to see that you did that, right? So you start to build out like this. Then you look, then you, again, you start building from there and going, well, okay, are there, uh, are there podcasts out there that target audiences, executive moms? Maybe I send the host an email. And say, hey, I'd love to, you know, come on and talk about this. I have a newsletter and maybe a couple of them book you and you get in front of those audiences. Maybe you find other similar newsletters and you reach out and say, hey, do you want to do a cross promotion? Even if it's small, right? Hey, I have a hundred subscribers. I know you have 300, but I'm happy to tell my hundred about your newsletter if you tell, you know, so there's all those things you can do and it starts to go from there and you're publishing consistently. You're putting out good stuff. Some people are starting to spread it, but but what you'll notice about that whole thing is you can't do that if the newsletter doesn't have a specific value for a specific audience. If the newsletter is just the Josh newsletter, All right. I don't know where to go. What what Facebook group do I go to? You know, or if the newsletter is all over the place, right? And by the way, this is this is true also because a lot of people are like, well, I just want a newsletter and I just want to write about whatever I want to write about. Nothing wrong with that, but don't expect it to grow. Right. <laughs> like it might grow. Yeah. You might get lucky. You might win the lottery, but for the most part, like if you're not aiming for something specific, like it's not going to work. The other thing is if you are writing stories. So let's say I was like, you, you can layer a transformation or a theme onto whatever you're doing. It doesn't have to be how to educational stuff. Right. So <clears throat> I might say, I, my newsletter, I just want to tell stories from my life and lessons that I'm learning. Okay. But is there something that I can tie that into, right? Does it become, you know, I have a a one-year-old daughter, right? So uh, do I say, you know, the newsletter is about, you know, dad's year two, year two dads, right? Like I'm still just telling whatever stories from my life, but I've sort of wrapped it in packaging that makes it appeal to a specific audience. So that's the key. That's where I would, that's where I would start. And I think once you have that, it becomes easier to find ways to, to promote it. And then obviously if you have budget, you can run ads and you can do all sorts of other things. And newsletter platforms now have recommendation networks and all that, you know, there's a million sort of other things uh, that you can do. And by the way, I might as well, since we're talking about this, uh, I have a series of skill sessions um, and I have two of them specifically about newsletter growth. Mm. Uh, you can go to joshspector.com slash sessions if you want to check it out. One is called the Newsletter Social Playbook, which is all about how to use social media to grow your newsletter and vice versa. Um, the other is called the Newsletter Booster, which is how to grow your newsletter in five minutes a day. So yeah, there's a, there's a million things that you can do, but it's all got to start with 
clarity on, on who it's for and how it helps them. Are those online courses or those like cohorts? Yeah, they're do- one hour, uh, they're one hour video presentations, basically, okay. um, recorded on demand. So as soon as you buy it, you, you get them right away and, uh, you can watch it and they're very, all my stuff is very simple and tactical. So it's not a lot of like theoretical, like you need more engagement. It's like, no, here are examples of the things that you can, you know, post, uh, and how to do it. So like one example from the newsletter, social playbook, uh, you always want to promote your newsletter before you publish it, not just after you want to tease what's coming in it. And I have examples of specific social posts that people do and how they do that. So it's that kind of stuff where you can, uh, really just sort of take it and immediately start using this stuff. Yeah. Well, and one more thought I want to add on to that. I, I, I love what you said. I listened to this, uh, the podcast you had where you had Dylan on and you said something that was really to, to this point. It's not about creating a long form newsletter. It's about how I use email to deliver whatever value I have to deliver. So mm-hmm. going back to maybe a little bit you're saying to, to help folks, you don't have to write a you know five thousand word you know perfectly curated. This could, it could be two paragraphs yeah. and and you know a picture. I don't know. Yeah, I mean for for people that don't know my newsletter, uh, which you can get at fortheinterested.com/slash subscribe. Uh, on weekdays, I send a one paragraph newsletter, and a lot of times it's one sentence. Uh, and a link and people love it. They love that. It's a a quick read again, as long as you're sending, you know, as long as you're sending value, Mm -hmm. right. Email and newsletters are just a value delivery mechanism. And so as long as you're giving people value, they will open it and they will love it. And I actually think in most cases, uh, most newsletters are overwritten and too long. Uh, I aim with ever, and by the way, this is true of everything I do you know, I aim to provide the most value per minute as possible, right? Now, sometimes that's going to be longer, right? I might write a blog post that's a couple thousand words, but there's a reason, right? I'm still within those couple thousand words trying to eliminate as much fluff as possible. Uh, My podcast is three questions. Someone comes on and asks me three questions. We spend about 10 minutes talking about each of them and that's it. And and no... uh, no long introductions. I don't start with the like, you know, let's talk about what you were like in kindergarten. <laughs> like, no, literally, like I, I tell, I email guests in advance and I say, give me a three sentence bio for yourself. going to read that. And then we're going to get right into the questions. And I think people are so busy and there's so much content, like they really love that. So not only do I not think that you have to do this like long you know, elaborate newsletter, I actually think it's a advantage to keep things as sort of short and tight as possible. Again, as long as it's valuable. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Josh, it's been a lot of fun. Anything else on your mind you want to share with the, uh, the group? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, the only thing I would, uh, I would say again, you know, if, if you're interested in any of this stuff in terms of growing audience and business, my newsletter for the interested.com slash subscribe. Uh, it's free. Uh, my podcast uh, is called I Want to Know. Um, and you can check that out on all the podcast platforms. Uh, and then my skill sessions, which you can go to joshspector.com slash sessions. Uh, I think I have maybe 10 or 11 of them out now. I do a new one once every two months. Uh, in addition to the newsletter ones, there's ones on how to build a product in a day. Uh, how to get clients. Uh, I just did one called the coaching kit. That's about sort of how to have a better uh, coaching business. 
Um, they're all the same format. They're all basically 45 minute video presentations and then some Q and A on the end. Uh, you can become a member and get all of them, or you can buy them individually. I think they're really representative of my approach to all of this stuff in terms of, you know, just give people clear, specific, actionable things uh, that they can do as quickly as possible. Courses is another thing. Not newsletters, newsletters are bloated. I think courses are way bloated because they feel like, oh, I need to give people eight hours of video. You just look at the sales page yeah. and you can see they're <laughs> like, it's eight hours of video and it's 22 workbooks. I, I, I had a client that I was helping and and his stuff was his stuff was great. I was actually doing some copywriting for his sales page. And, you know, one of the the big things on his sales page was he was like 600 pages of resources. And I was like, this is not helping you. I know you think yeah, it is. Yeah. And I'm not saying you need to remove stuff, but putting like in the headline, like 600 pages of stuff, like people are like, I don't have time for 600 pages of anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I get why people do it, but I think, you know, my stuff is very much the opposite, right? Like how can I give you what you need and get you to the result as quickly as possible uh, as opposed to just sort of throwing a bunch of stuff in there. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, you know, that's it. Th you know, I should also say anybody who hears this, uh, I'm always happy to answer questions and help people. Welcome to email me, josh at joshspector.com. Uh, I talk with people all the time uh, through email on Twitter, uh, all of it. So I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the importance of getting started. So I was, uh, when you reached out, I was happy to, to come on the show and talk about it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, I I've been found the journey for a little while. So I'm glad to have you come on here and, and I'll share everything in the show notes. And yeah, if, if the course is a newsletter or anything like this conversation, I know there's a ton of value in there for everyone. So, uh, yeah, Josh, thanks. Thank so, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, and just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.